the island of saints and scholars and gum beans and fucking arse lickers. Money, 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 money. Seems to make the world go down, so won't you tell me why? Welcome to the Saint Scholar Podcast. This is your weekly catch-up with me, Mick, and my cousin Colin in Durham, North Carolina. Um, as usual, we suck at the social media and stuff, so if you like the pod, share it. And away we go. How are you doing, Carl? I'm not too bad. Uh, yeah, you. I understand you're having a, a pink eye epidemic amongst your flock. <laughs> so it was one of them bare-ass farting on the rest of them in their sleep or what was happening i don't i don't know look i i did a lot of googling about this um and yeah googling pink eye is probably not the you know best thing to do <laughs> best thing to do but basically uh like exposed fields and stuff can cause pink eye in sheep and it's massively contagious and they pass it on at feeding troughs so if you have a mm. tight feeding trough they like rub off each other's face and they go complete not almost completely blind with this thing so I'll, I'll tell you how it started and i'll tell you how we're going right so there's a bunch of in lamb yos for uh like mid-season lambing and they're in a in a whatever they're in a field they're in, they're in a, a a neighbor's field which which we rent and um the neighbor called up one day and he said one of the fields is or one of the yos is walking around the field in circles um you know like some crazed <laughs> fucking thing and uh so uh i went into the field and she was still full of energy but i kind of saw that she had uh sort of foggy looking eyes and i was like oh shit so I, I didn't know much about it i continued i fed the rest of the sheep and she couldn't find the trough because she was standing in the middle of the field yeah. kind of circling in the middle and i was like okay so i'm gonna have to get this lady and like throw her into the back of the truck and actually we had a we had a podcast shortly after and i had messed up my back yeah that was how i messed up my back just putting this one lady in the back of the the pickup yeah so um so anyway uh that happened and a few days later uh i i i walked in the field and i moved we're kind of strip grazing some of those in lamios so you have to like move the fence move this like electric fence a little bit every couple of days so they can eat a little bit more of the grass or whatever and when i went up to move the fence i noticed that the whole fence had been torn down and then i noticed that there was another yo in the neighbor in the neighboring field which we don't rent which somebody else rents for cattle or whatever there's nothing in it at the moment except for one sheep walking around in circles in the, <laughs> in the field so i had to like catch her and put her in the back of the truck i did it by myself i was pretty proud of myself and i didn't mess up my back and i i brought her home and that's when i did a bit more research and i realized that this is massively contagious um and it's likely in more of the os in that field because i'd been feeding them uh, in tr in a trough i'd been feeding the meal in a trough so a good way to stop them getting too close to each other that way is you spread the meal out over the field instead of in the trough. So anyway, right. I started doing that. And a couple of days later, there was another one walking around in circles. And this one was really high energy. So mm. catching her was difficult. 
So what I had to do was I like parked the, the truck in the middle of the field and I kind of slowly kind of ran her around until she went around so much in circles she got dizzy and fell over. <laughs> and, then I had, and then I had to catch her and kind of drag her back and throw her in the truck. And that was the last one, thankfully, that happened there. So I was bringing them home and giving them antibiotics. Now, the problem with the weather here at the moment is it is miserable. So we have a lot of uh, yos with lambs who are still in. You'd normally let them out after like less than a week. You would leave them out in the leave them out in the field, and like she prefer to be in the field in general. Like, except the weather is so bad and a lot of rain is really bad for small lambs. It'll you know drive them into the ground and they'll get sick and. They won't be able to follow their mothers and they'll die like a single lamb is normally fine. But if you have twin lambs, what happens is one of them might be a little bit weaker or slower than the other. And then if it yeah. gets sick, the mother will continue moving on with the healthy one and the sick one ends up dead in a ditch somewhere. And that's just the thing that happens. So um, so I was keeping them in much longer than I normally would. And that leads to disease in sheep. So you get joint ill in lambs, which I'm treating just a couple of lambs for now. But the pink eye, I don't know how managed to get into a bunch of the yos, a couple of the in lamb yos in the, that were just lambing in the, in the front shed. So there's two of those that were nearly blind. And there was a couple of yos with lambs that were nearly blind. So I've been like treating them all. And it's a total pain in the hole because you're, you try to move a yo with lambs, right? So that's okay. And normally what you do is you pick up the two lambs or lamb and the yo will like walk straight over and go, oh, that's my lamb. And we'll smell the lamb and we'll follow you. You can walk wherever you right. want. But if the yo is fucking blind, you, <laughs> like you can't go anywhere with this fucking thing. Like you have to, you're, you have to like juggle two lambs and, and carry the yo practically. So you kind of have to leave them where they are and like put a few gates around them and put the lambs in with them and like hope for the best. Um, so, yeah, I've been intensely, intensively treating them for that. And the weather's kind of picked up over the last couple of days. So I've had an opportunity to let out more. It's just the longer they're in, the worse it gets, the heavier the lambs get, the more difficult it is to carry a lamb out to the field. But yeah, so does it I, transfer between species? Uh, I fucking hope not or I'm doomed. <laughs> How did you get pink eye, Mr. O'Donoghue? Well, it's a long story. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Jesus. Well. Yes, so it's no crack. But on the bright side, there's just a couple of yos left to yain in this batch. And <coughs> we've done very well up to this point. We've done very, very well up to this point. So I can't complain. Yeah. Well, my, uh, my wee sister-in-law is likely to be moving to your fair island for her graduate studies. That is fantastic. So uh, I know Galway's famous for its lovely weather, so she'll be looking forward to the same of what you're describing right now. Galway is the wettest town or the wettest city in Ireland by a long shot. Um, I lived there. I lived there for a few months over a winter and I was like, Jesus, I don't think I ever saw the sun. Um, <laughs> like, it's a lovely town, but like, gee, imagine it in COVID now as well like yeah <laughs> rain rain and COVID 19. um it's yeah. a lovely town but it's a wet one she How can always you... she can always come and hang out on the farm here with us if she wants yeah she can assist you with the uh pink eyed into blindness <laughs> we yos uh how are you guys getting on with the COVID now 
Um, look, we're down to about a thousand cases a day. Um, it seems we seem to have like plateaued a bit high. Um, like it's been a week of about a thousand cases a day. Uh, efforts are being made to bring it down, but like it is what it is. And the death rate obviously has gone up because it's it's tailing the high rate. Um, so it, the death rate tails the tails the case rate obviously by about a week or two weeks almost mm. and um ah, look it's it's pretty bad at the moment but i you know the vaccines are happening slowly but surely so you know fingers crossed how, how are you getting on in the states what's the score i actually haven't been looking at and the I numbers do. it sort of depends on the place um because this is all being like, directed at on a state level so i think uh um, in New York, um, Cuomo um, threw out all the carefully planned um, protocols that had been developed over the course of months and years yeah. and brought in his private consultants and lobbyists to develop a mostly moronic plan. But there is a sheer volume of vaccines that have been secured in New York so that like they are getting shots into people's arms. Yeah. Um, but it it kind of depends. And then there's also there's states that like Trump had punished and sort of uh, putting through means both obvious and, and more covert kind of delayed getting them um, orders shipped yeah. and stuff. And that's, you know, obviously causing trouble for those folks. But I, I think uh, I suspect with between Pfizer, Johnson, Johnson, Moderna, um, I, I suspect by the kind of like late spring, you'll see like really kind of mass, um, no yeah. more kind of age restrictions or whatever. You'll see kind of a, an intensification of the, the rollout, but for now it's, you know, it really comes down to where you live probably. Yeah, um, for us, we're, I think it's just really the over 85s at the moment who are getting it and uh, healthcare workers. Um, Eilish has had both shots of the Pfizer and she, she didn't react too well to the second one. It was that's what bad. I've heard. Yeah, that's yeah. what I've heard. Um, it's, it's and the thing bad. is, like, it's kind of a race against time here because of the mutations. And I think we're, the, you know, masking up is sort of going to be the name of the game for a while you know just because everyone is still a carrier can still transmit this even if they get you know these aren't even vaccines the wrong word you know it's like a preemptive treatment but it's not a vaccine because you yeah. can still get it and pass it um so i don't know i think there'll be weird times ahead i'm not sure uh we're nearer the end than we are the beginning you know Oh Jesus! Don't say that. I'm. I'm. Well, just in a in a macro sense, you know what I mean. I think like yeah. masks and stuff like that is going to be kind of a part of life for a while. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't like that. Also, also homeschooling. Not a fan of homeschooling. <laughs> I'm. I'm like because Jackie started her her new job this week. I'm. Uh, so I have to like go out in the morning and basically run around feeding <laughs> feeding all the sheep and be back in for like before nine o'clock because that's when Jackie starts work and uh, then I have to do the homeschooling thing with Jack and homeschooling with a five-year-old is is challenging because why don't you start him up on vocational training out with you chasing the sheep around he'll be out now soon enough he was out the other day and he wasn't too impressed but uh, he'll be, <laughs> I, 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 it's hard because Oren has to come with him right and um, 
and Oren loves it, but he kind of wants to be close to you all the time. Right. And like he's likely to get knocked over by sheep or whatever. So like what happened was I was trying to get work done. I was trying to get like injections into yo's and trying to get yo's out and stuff. And I had the two boys out with me the other day. I was like, this is just not going to end well. So I put the two boys in a sheep pen. I closed them. <laughs> in a sheep pen and left them standing in it and then I did a lot of work around them whilst talking to them and it's like that's your play pen now a little a little sheep pen full of straw with a bucket in it and that's, that's, that's I'm like that's no fun but um I'm getting a new uh getting a new truck tomorrow um I'm getting a, a new pickup. is it a Ford F-150 nine feet tall um 15 no. feet long nah no, it's, nah. a, it's a Volkswagen Amarok. It's a Volkswagen Amarok. I and see. it's not new, like it's a few years old, but it's it's pretty nice. It's nice. Um, I would get a Ford F-150 if I could. Um, in fact, I had almost bought like our version of a Ford F-150, which is a Ford Ranger. And um, I just bailed out at the last minute. I thought the seller might be a bit shady. And I actually ended up buying a Volkswagen from a main Volkswagen dealer instead. Oh, how boring of me. But uh, yeah. Well... Well, they're uh, they're all making a big push. It's going to be interesting how fast they can eat into old Musk's market share with the electronic vehicles because they're making a they're making a big old push. Um, and one of the other engines, these other got this, but they're kind of like retrofitting um, like existing combustion engine vehicles for either hybrid or or to turn them electric I, I and that's, think, a, that's a neat project I think. I think that is a really neat project and I, I like uh, Tesla or not whoever but who these I've, I've seen like because I was into the whole electric car thing I've seen really interesting projects where people have taken like just regular old cars and they've gutted a Tesla mm-hmm. and basically put the drivetrain in and done all of this stuff and it's fantastic so like if somebody could just figure out how to do that on an industrial like level, like and just like, but then yeah. obviously there's like there's weight ratios and all that sort of stuff, and they like keeping down the weight of these electric cars at the moment because the battery technology isn't there. Um, but yeah, it's pretty cool to be honest. Uh, look, it'll happen. It'll happen in time. Like it is my dream, and it's like uh, like sacrilege to say it, but it is my dream to own like a 1960s Mustang electrified. I think that would be an absolutely yeah. cool machine to have. You know, I think they just, speaking of, I think Ford released uh, some kind of an, a, a more contemporary one, obviously not like the, the yeah, retro no, model, but I, I think they have electrified the Mustang. They have electrified the Mustang and it's really cool. It's like a, it's an almost SUV. It's really yeah. Cool. Oh yeah. It's, yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that'll be a huge seller. Um, I think Ford. I think Ford are going to catch up. Like, I mean, Elon didn't have that big a jump on them. And as long as like, as soon as people can figure out how to like have a slightly longer um, uh, drive between charges, like all of a sudden the yeah. The seller. problem is yeah. Elon might have made like twenty billion dollars tricking those idiots into driving up GameStop and other things. So. <laughs> He, he literally like, you know, he says jump and they're like, how high? And he's like, until I have all your money. That's how high. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, ah, well, look, as, as grifters go, sure, isn't he an interesting one? You know, at least he's like, 
at least he's doing proper supervillain shit like flying fucking spaceships and stuff like that you know what i mean i mean yeah like well, he's a he's how unambitious are his... these other people yeah, I think I think his father ran like an emerald mine in South Africa or something. So he's kind of uh, you know that's a more James Bond era kind of bad guy, and he's <laughs> he's more kind of uh, contemporary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's still very James Bond what he's doing now. But um, you know Bezos, right? Bezos. Yeah. He had an interest in space a long time ago. I'm not just gonna like like I I. Like he's such a gobshite, but uh, he like he's got Blue Origin now. But like apparently, when he was in college, he was like the head, the head of his like space or astronomy or whatever the hell it is. I think it was space uh, society or whatever in his in his school, whatever fucking Stanford or whatever fucking place he went. To. I don't know where he went to. Where did he go to actually? Do you I know? don't know. I don't know. Are you are you having? Delusions of grandeur about your second born right now who also has an interest in space? Because <laughs> if this happens, we're buying Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I, I this is really funny. I was looking at my YouTube history. And Oren like will sit and click because obviously when I'm trying to homeschool Jack, I'm trying to teach Jack how to speak Irish, which I'm not very good at, but I'm all right. And uh I, I'm giving uh, Oren like the tablet or whatever, and he's just looking at like YouTube videos of In a Nutshell, which th- I'll have to show it to you sometime. It's absolutely amazing. Um, but it's really in depth. Like, I, I don't even know how he'd describe it. Um, it's like Swiss Science Foundation. It's for adults and kids, but it's all like, it's not even for kids, really. It's for adults, but it's animated. All of these animated, right. like crazy high scientific concepts. And he has looked at this video about the Dyson sphere about 50 fucking times, <laughs> right? Which is this like theoretical uh, uh, sphere around the sun. Uh, uh, like basically that could power like an interstellar race and like this is a long video with like crazy concepts involving like flying spaceships to mars and or flying spaceships to mercury and basically mining mercury to the point that it doesn't exist anymore and creating like a a kind of a a giant satellite array around around the sun and reflecting the sun's energy to focused points on different planets to power like this new interstellar interplanetary uh, civilization that we're going to have. And so Oren, our three year old, is sitting looking at this all fucking morning. Meanwhile, Jack is going, Breach de Glan, which is clean trousers, or, or <laughs> Guna Gloss, or Guna, Guna Salak, which is dirty dress. Or, <laughs> Jack is like struggling with these concepts. Meanwhile, the other guy is in. <laughs> Well, the other one sounds like it's more fun. You know, if you're going to be sitting down to do your educating, you might as have some animated, engaging content. Yeah. You yeah. know. Maybe we should do animated, engaging versions of us. <laughs> you think? <laughs> I don't have much space knowledge. We'd have to pick a different general area of uh, expertise. Middle Eastern politics, perhaps. I don't know how you combine yeah. the Middle Eastern politics and sheep farming in an animation, but <laughs> we'll have well, to figure it out. Well, Mick, where was Jesus from? 
And what was and he? What, you know, <laughs> exactly. Come here. Speaking of the Middle East, your newsletter today. I say today. I, the general public may not have it yet, but um, tell us what's the score with this fella in Lebanon? Give me, give me the skinny on it. I just kind of a long time uh, public intellectual sort of ran a bunch of NGOs, documentarian. Um, and he'd, he'd been a, a fairly, he's, he's a Shia, at least by identity himself. He's a secularist, but um, he had been fairly critical and a lot of people are critical of, of Hezbollah um, inside Lebanon. So it's not like they're um, carrying out reprisals against all their domestic yeah. uh, enemies all the time. But he, he was assassinated uh, very early this morning. Uh, the last name's Slim, um, but he's, uh, yeah, it, it's it's an odd one and a sad one and kind of the latest in a long line of of bright, well-intentioned, hardworking people uh, trying to better the of, world. Yeah. And and this has been, you know, particularly since the the Arab uprisings, there's really just like a a list that kind of just goes on and on of, of kind of whatever lawyers, human rights activists, writers, all types of people who've uh, met their demise. So it's yeah, it's pretty sad. Um, and, and Lebanon itself is, you know, I know t- if you, if you're dealing about with. It. Well, if you like, it's just like they had a insane financial crisis, which is followed on, you know, pretty much since the civil war ended, and they kind of repatched a power sharing agreement that sort of allowed the elite families of each confessional sect to sort of retain a fiefdom inside the country. It's just been dysfunctional governance and corruption, uh, so that's been like crap for a long time and then this enormous financial crisis and then COVID and then this insane explosion down at the docks, you know? And so it's just been uh, pretty crazy. And I I have a few friends and colleagues still there and it's, um, it's wild. Uh, just like whatever the the things with the currency and everything else. And, um, yeah, it's really sad. It's a really pretty country. It's a really cool place. There's a lot of really cool things going on there. But I, like, it's sort of political economy at the top levels is just really structurally bollocks. Is but there any way crazy out? resilient? I mean, they've had these they've had these huge popular popular uprisings since the mid two thousands, and like these guys survive it somehow. You know, even like. Hariri's son is just brought back into power again. This guy is a dunce. He was kidnapped by Mohammed bin Salman while he was the prime minister of Lebanon. He was like sitting in Saudi Arabia, like filming, like, a, you know, he's like, no, I'm fine. Everything's cool. I'm, I can certainly leave anytime I want. And he was just getting extorted because his dad ran a huge construction company out of Saudi. Um, and they were trying to get money probably. But anyway, like this guy was completely discredited as a buffoon. Like, two years ago and now he's back as like the man to save the government it's uh it's really really silly but it's um i don't know 
Who wins out of it except for these basic oligarchs? Like, is it are they the only ones who win out of it? Yeah. Um, and like on its good days, like it's just like a cool enough place in the Mediterranean with such like a deep running social scene and culture that most people used to like living there anyway, you know, even though there's, even though they're like selling off garbage collection to local oligarchs so they can get money out of it and, and therefore doing an incompetent job, of course, people live with it just because like it, it's one of the more interesting kind of fun places to be but yeah i mean they've looking forward a ton of out migration uh dubai and and bahrain have eaten it's kind of it used to be this major financial center forever yeah. in the middle east and they've kind of eaten into that since the civil war but then again recently um so I don't know whether whether Lebanon. I don't know where they go from here. Um, so basically, obviously, you can't say definitively that Hezbollah are responsible for his death, but they are. Is that the? Yeah, the I think they they probably they probably are. And again, this doesn't mean like um, often with these things. I don't think there's necessarily like a an order from on high. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, you know, there's, we call them within like, there's a, there's a guy who coined the term a petty sovereign. And, and it was meant to describe how like when you're going through customs or whatever, and like you're sort of just beholden to this one twat who's at the desk there. And if he wants to screw with you, like you can't really do anything about it, you know, yeah. especially as like a, a foreigner. Yeah. And, uh, I think that especially is the case with security with cops, right? Like if cops want to shake you down, like you're kind of just like, God damn, like right now. Okay. Maybe later there'll be like a legal case where I get some, I get yeah. some joy or some satisfaction, but right now he can kind of do whatever he wants. And I think that, you know, in a, in a context where uh, security actors play a very large role and a very discretionary role, you know, it's not, difficult to imagine some particular group or, you know, lower level, um, folks being like, this guy's pissing me off and I won't, I'm not going to face any re repercussions for acting here. So I'll just, I'll just go ahead and do it. Um, I would imagine that's how it went down, but I, you know, I don't know. Uh, Shite. yeah. Yeah. Shite. You were all full of the joys of the world last week. I actually had one friend um, message me saying, "Is Colin high?" <laughs> <laughs> There's still some joys. Uh, the the U.S. is no longer gonna uh, support the kind of main part of Saudi and the UAE's war in Yemen. That is uh, good. That is good news. So that's cool. We've been feeding them intelligence and fixing their planes and giving them armaments and everything else um for whatever six years um so is um is biden's what you're saying is biden's first uh, trip out of the country won't be to go over to saudi arabia and uh, uh kiss balls is that basically what you're saying because that's pretty it's much unlikely. what every leader it's what every single american leader has done for the last 15 years i'd say um obama over to saudi uh, 
Trump over was it their first I think it was like their first visit was it I want to say it was close to their first visit I don't remember with uh, Obama very early on went to Cairo and gave this big speech that was kind of meant to be like turning the chapter uh, or turning the page with the US and the Middle East and such Um, the problem is yeah so look there's still a lot of bad feelings for Saudi inside DC um, mostly because of the Khashoggi not really for like destroying Yemen or any of that stuff it's really for the Khashoggi uh, stuff problem is the UAE is really skated by un, uh, unblemished. Um, uh, the, the new Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken's first call was to their foreign minister, for instance. And like, they are every bit as nefarious uh, throughout the Middle East. They are every bit as nefarious within DC. Uh, this is what I'm writing. Like, it's my goodness. The operation they run is is wild, um, and you're it, just talking it's about kind of, extreme lobbying, basically, or like basically yeah, having, but having their fingers in every pie when it comes to lobbying and consultants and all that sort of stuff. lobbying and and think tanks and media and kind of elite society in general. You know, I actually read something a while ago by a British journalist who was talking about the City Football Group. And, and his argument was like, okay, in the case of Manchester City itself, maybe there was an interest in like having a world-class football team to like try to win a Champions League and you get yeah. to have your airline on the shirt and all this kind of stuff. But when they spread to New York and Melbourne, right? Yeah, they have another Melbourne. team there, yeah. I think. Yeah. It was like, I think it, in those instances, this is more about like getting access to like the board of planning in New York City or getting to meet with like, you know, all these kind of high level folks that you would need to deal with to build a stadium and all. Yeah. And it's more about like relationship managing amongst elites. Like they probably don't really care that much about the football itself, but they, they use like, like with an art museum or anything else. This is like, this is how you get to meet the rich people who are in the ear of the powerful people. You know what I mean? And it's kind of, uh, so I think all those, all that stuff is, is very, active and fairly sophisticated in the u.s and it's kind of calibrated perfectly to exploit the like american decadence you know what i mean so like the way they interact and um leverage and uh engage with everyone from the pentagon to congress to think tank people to journalists it only works when everyone is trying to like fill their own pockets right it only works in the decadent society where like there's no there's no sense of like public service or some kind of higher calling or some like you know just like internal ethical imperative that tells you like this is gross i'm going to kick this guy out of my office you know but it's so it's like it's it's like perfectly built for this stage that america's in where it's just like everyone is kind of grifting um and so it's 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 very effective in, in that match of kind of uh donor and host whatever it might be you know uh and they've been very good donors yeah oh yeah i mean and that's between them and so I don't know. I, I suspect this their current thing, which is the, their current uh, purchase from 
Raytheon and Boeing and all the other guys is 23 billion. Yeah. Um, which that single order is more than the US, US companies or the government has sold since 2011 to Germany, Canada, India, Pakistan, Greece, and someone else combined single order. So like when you're talking about like, you know, how much does this really mean to the bottom line of these military industrial complex? It means a, means a whole lot, you know, like Saudi and the UA are pretty much half their revenue, you know, give or take. And it's, uh, or or maybe a little bit less, but you know, it's a huge part of it. Um, What are they building over there? Like, like what the fuck? Like what the fuck are they other than a hundred miles fucking city or whatever? What are they building over there? Like what? They're building warehouses to store the missiles that they purchased in order to like you know this is again the the weapons orders similarly. Okay, on the one hand, it allows you to make boom booms. Yeah. But more so, it's a down payment on the U.S. coming to protect you. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, they they know like push comes to shove, they can't actually defend themselves if if one of these other folks, principally Iran, were to decide like, all right, I'm just tired of you guys. And so, and they're like, but by buying $24 billion worth of, of weapons from you guys all the time, like you're going to have to come protect us. You know, sure, isn't, it's, sure uh, isn't that the only reason, isn't that the only reason the Yanks went to World War One? on the side of the Brits as opposed to the Germans. I mean, obviously, other than um, fucking uh, hero-in-chief Teddy Roosevelt having a whole mm-hmm. th- having a whole pro-British thing, but, like, there was a large German population in uh, the United States at the time. And, the re- well, I won't say the real reason, but a- apparently a major motivating factor for uh, the Americans joining the Allies at the allies the brits at the time was the fact that uh england had borrowed so much money from the united states the united states was protecting its own financial interests by joining the war on the british side yeah so there you go so that's, that's so that's the same with the uae it's like a fuck they haven't fully paid for all of those missiles yet <laughs> we better yeah we better, no, we better and there'll, be, there'll be more there'll be more orders mm-hmm. <laughs> Exactly. I saw this great, statement. Those guys are a great customer, you know? Yeah. There was some statement from like the CEO of Raytheon who was like, well, I don't think we're in any danger of peace breaking out in the Middle East anytime soon. Like he literally wrote that in a statement to like, you oh, know, God. it's truly offensive. Uh, it is. Okay. But yeah. God. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cheering me up as usual, Colin. Thanks, Millie, man. Yeah. Um, uh, in good news, bad news. The Indian farmers have have stuck with their protests. They're not yeah, being treated very be, well by the government, but you know they seem to be rocking out pretty hard. And uh, they even got Rihanna uh, <laughs> yeah, right. to give them a shout out. <laughs> like just just uh, like who the fuck manages Rihanna's social media that they're like, come here, Rihanna, give an old shout out to the Indian farmers, will you? Like. I suspect like, it's probably her. I suspect it's her. I think she's like kind of a sneaky lefty. Like I think she she backed whoever she's from the Bahamas, I think. And yeah. she kinda like helped this lefty woman get elected down there. 
Um, sure for so I suspect, yeah, I suspect she got a, a sense of like, you know, there's a bunch of these like really old bearded Indian farmers that are like camped out for two months in Delhi being like, you guys are just trying to screw us. We know you're trying to screw us. It's obvious you're trying to screw us and please stop. You know, there's really like, I don't know how you'd be. Yeah, yeah. Unless yeah. you're really a stickler for the market right to price grain and other things, you know, I don't see why you'd have a vested interest in uh, the government yeah. side. Here. I suppose it's yeah, it's a, it's an easy it's an easy one to it's an easy one to say I'm going to be on these guys' side because it's it's obviously the haves and have-nots, you know. Yeah, 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 and you know, uh, but I I have a couple friends uh, of South Asian descent and like. They talk about like the, the Twitterverse in like Pakistan and India is like crazy, and like the like the Hindu nationalists that like that are all backing Modi. It's just I I don't I don't follow Rihanna, but I'm sure they were absolutely going bonkers accusing her of <laughs> one thing or another. Come here to uh, me, um, fucking excuse my language, so. This is a weird one, and I, I don't know, right? Both you and I had a had a real soft spot for Patricia Arquette back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may remember Beyond Rangoon, which uh, championed uh, Aung San Suu Kyi mm-hmm. back in the day, um, and so eventually she came to power. Uh, long after that movie had faded from the consciousness of pretty much everybody, except for me and my love for Patricia Arquette. Um, so she came to power uh, and was heralded by, you know, Amnesty International and everybody. Mm-hmm. And then uh, all of this stuff about the Rohingyas started coming out. And like she got a backlash, a lot of backlash for persecuting them. And I don't know what all the ins and outs of that are. And now she's gotten the old heave ho from the military. So what the hell is going on in Yeah, I mean, so that wouldn't really, it wouldn't be my area of expertise, but my general read on it was um, the kind of basic power structures of the state never changed, despite them allowing for a... Veneer uh, of democracy. Exactly. And so she was kind of... Now, the question is, should she have um, gone along with this? Yes. Right. Um, you know, I, I don't know that she ever acquired decision making power and obviously uh, was not able to consolidate any kind of strength within the state to contest uh, the coup that has currently gone down against her, you know. Um, and, and so it was probably kind of naive to think that these sort of formalities um were constitutive of a genuine, genuine change in, in, in who calls really the shots. The power. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, like, was she the driving force behind the campaign against the Rohingya? I, I certainly, I doubt it. Um, did she do anything to stop it? I don't know. Was she capable of stopping it? Probably not. Yeah. But as a, like whatever Nobel prize winner celebrated constantly by numpty liberal media in the west she probably should have put up a fight at least yeah. you know what i mean um but i think yeah it's uh, that it's a bit of a black box to in and that isn't my area of, of focus by any means but i think 
Myanmar in general is, um, I don't think it's easy to, uh, because like the military and intelligence guys have held sort of all the tools for so long. I don't think it's, 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 uh, even for people who like are specialists in that area, I don't think it's always easy to know precisely what's going on because like those aren't the types that are going to indulge, uh, you know, the ins and outs of, of their, uh, their plots and schemes, but it's, uh, on the slighter, slighter, lighter note, at least there was that video of the woman doing her fitness workout as, as the military was deploying its, its troops down this lake. And she's just kind of dancing uh, as like tanks and motorcycles and everything just go by in the background. Uh, goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Everything happens live on Facebook or Twitter or whatever the hell these days. Yeah. So, so, the, I didn't... so the poor old GameStop, on another note, the poor old GameStop crowd. Uh, yeah. Wh- look, the price has fallen. I think it's about $55 at the moment or whatever, uh, down from a high of close to 500 Um. Why is that purely a few people like sort of, I won't say pyramid scheme-ish, but is that just purely people taking profit and, uh, and leaving a lot of others to hold the can whatever or is it or was it due to the the limiting of trade or what what the hell happened there there's probably a couple of things that happened um on the limiting of trade part i can't remember if i if we tried to this it was all happening when we talked yeah. last time um so i think like the initial assumption of a lot of people was that this was Essentially, the hedge funds got to Robinhood and, and convinced them that, like, if you don't stop this, we're going to get wiped out and then somehow we're going to come for you or that the SEC had gotten to Robinhood and acting on the in the interests of capital told them to put a stop to this. I think there's probably a much more procedural and technical exp- explanation in that as a brokerage um there's like regulatory dictates that uh, dictates, I guess, however you'd say that word that, you know, the brokerage needs to keep X amount in cash reserves um, rel- relative to the trades that are happening on a given day. And, and those reserves are kept in a clearinghouse. And these rules are pretty, pretty standard. And I think like the amount of cash you need to keep in reserve is greater with high volatility assets. Yeah. For example, a nearly bankrupt video video game company that's suddenly more more valuable than like General Motors because of this, you know. Yeah. And so I think, I think at least what their CEO has said, and uh, you know, maybe there's other stuff going on, but it strikes me as plausible that like they kind of were like, oh shit, like this actually might screw up the plumbing of of the financial system if we don't have the cash here or a requisite amount of cash to honor all these trades and things go crazy. Like they, they, it kind of threatened to like just screw up all these basic money flows through which all our financial entities interact. And so I think that 
amongst other things, perhaps, but that was probably the primary reason why they had to sort of temporary, temporarily put a, a stop on the trade. Um, as for the trade itself, you know, I think you, there's a lot of people participating in that, a lot of earnest people, probably a lot of people doing it for the laugh. And then there's a lot of serious traders yeah. um, who made a lot of money. Um, and I, because I think like to have moved the price to the extent that they did required, I, I think I heard something like $260 billion in capital. Whoa. And believe it or not, Mick, like you and I making a trade as the numpties cheering this on don't have enough to get $260 billion. You know, so there was people with serious money that were also pumping this price up cognizant you know, wise players in this game and knowledgeable of like when, when this market's going to turn and how they're going to get their money out, you know? So I think it was like, it was like the old, uh, scam crypto pump and dump. Yeah. Except yeah. with an actual real company, you know? Yeah. And with like, yeah. And a huge, a huge community. There's like, you know, it's a, not, an enormous amount of people kind of participating in this. Um, yeah. but I, you know, I, I think, the other part of this is that I believe BlackRock, who's the largest asset manager in the world uh, with $7 trillion in assets under their stewardship, I think they own 50% of GameStop. So like this story of like the peasants and the, and the, you know, the bourgeois, it's like, no, nah, no, nah, the bourgeois <laughs> was on both sides, yeah. you know, both as part of some of the guys driving this thing in the first place, but also those who stood to benefit. So it's, it's a more complicated tale probably than, than some initially thought. I heard, I heard um, an interesting story. Uh, I'm not going to say drawing a comparison, but uh, kind of drawing a comparison where back in, I want to say the teens, um, 19, whatever. Uh, there was a similar thing happened where the peasants took the other side. The peasants mm -hmm. had shorted the railroad stock. I say the peasants, mm -hmm. the, the plebs had shorted railroad stock. And mm -hmm. there was basically two railroad magnets who got into a bidding war trying to buy up the companies. And mm -hmm. what ended up was uh, all of these fucking peasants <laughs> lost their lost their shirts, basically. Uh, some brewer yeah. somewhere committed suicide by jumping into a vat of boiling fucking beer or something at, at some point. But um, the, it's basically two railroad magnets were vying for power. And um, yeah, the, the rich won in the end as they do tend to when it comes to money, they can just outspend or outweigh or out whatever everybody else, you know? Yeah, it's wild to, uh, it's just like, almost every financial crisis from the 19th century was to do with railroads. It's just crazy, you know, it's just funny <laughs> when you think about where we are now, but like, they'd be like building a line in Argentina and then like, you know, some shitty British guy would have like bamboozled somebody or not done. And then all of a sudden it's like New York, the whole market's crashing everywhere. It's crashing. You know, it's, it was like for a while it was cotton, but, it was, you know, railroads. It's just funny to think sort of how things have. No, it's uh, video games. It's plastic, <laughs> plastic discs, which nobody yeah. uses anymore. Um, it's a dead media, plastic discs to put into 
Xbox Ones or PS4s or whatever. Um, AMC, they limited the AMC trading as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, as a few companies. But sure, like, like, it's funny, like a lot of people came out and sort of like championed the people's right to gamble. If you know what I mean, if you know what I mean, um, and like, yeah, that's fair enough. To be honest, I kind of champion the people's right to gamble as well. I mean, if and if the people fuck up the whole system, or if the people absolutely burn some billionaires or burn burn themselves, you know, fuck it, they they put their money. You put, you pays your money, you takes your chances, and that's kind of how it should be. So if the deck is stacked against them, that just that kind of sucks. Anyway. Yeah, I think the notion sort of that um, this was like a democratizing of finance and that financial inclusion means everyone gets to be a day trader and that will be somehow emancipatory for society. It's just naive, you know what I mean? Because like, like you said, even if the decks aren't explicitly stacked against yeah. you they are structurally stacked against you and they're institutionally stacked so even if there's not conspiracy collusion or anything like else the entire system is built you know and not using system as like system like the, the <laughs> regulatory everything uh has been built around these other guys winning you know yeah. so it's uh i don't know it, it was an interesting one though it was a crazy january the First Wednesday was when they <laughs> looted the Capitol. Yeah. The second Wednesday, something else crazy. It was every week. I can't remember, but there was just a bunch of crazy stuff. Uh, <laughs> big start to the year. Yeah, I'm hoping it quietens down a bit. The, the O's are done, Yena, now, and I'm, I'm looking for a quiet time. <laughs> I'm looking for a quiet time. I'm really... It's really funny. I'll tell you, like, uh, farming-wise... Uh, I have uh, a brain that is uh, like uh, like a little entrepreneurial and mm-hmm. like I'm constantly coming up with harebrained schemes or ideas or business notions or whatever it is constantly. And I find myself out in that yard now and I was like, you know, obviously I was raised on a farm, but I never put much thought into uh, farming as an entrepreneurial venture or as like an enterprise. I just never really considered the business side of it. Right. It was just a chore for me as a kid. You know, it was like, oh, I got to shovel some shit or catch some right. sheep or whatever it was. It was just like a, you know, a thing I had to do as a kid or milk some cows. And now all of a sudden I have responsibility for this flock. And like, I'm all I'm looking at is inefficiencies. And I'm like, it's really funny. Like, honestly, like I I have gone from looking at the world on this sort of uh, like macro <laughs> level to like microing in on like my small tasks every day. And like, how can I make this quicker? Like, especially in the mornings, I mean, like my mornings, my mornings suck. Like I have to get up really early and like, here's the problem. Right. Here's here's my problem. There's, there's just no way out of it. So because I have to be back in to take care of the kids at 9 a.m. because my wife starts work, I have to get up in the morning and feed everything that needs to be fed before 9 a.m. Hang on a second. This thing is going to be really loud. So I have to have everything done by 9 a.m. 
and I'm literally running with bags of meal hither and thither and feeding everything. And all I think about is like, this would be so much easier if these sheep were there and those sheep were here and this shed was there and th this pen was somewhere else. And like the way these troughs are in the field is so inefficient. And like all of a sudden I find myself researching like different ways to feed sheep or different ways <laughs> to like... Uh, like streamline everything and it's never something I considered and now all of a sudden I'm like it's all I can think about it's like how do I make this easier how do I make it easier you know you could bring in Boston Consulting Group yeah and they'll probably tell you to fire yourself and turn <laughs> the property over to them and uh, that would be cost saving and you can go from there well what, what I'm trying to do is basically right so in a way, I, f I feel like my father worked for the land, you know, and mm -hmm. I want the land to work for me. I know that's like an oversimplification of it, but it's like, how can I get the most out of it by still farming ethically, but efficiently? Um, you know, I don't like it's not going to be the sole income of this household because my wife will earn more from her IT gig than I probably ever will from this farm. Mm -hmm. you know unless i'm farming money trees um so i'm like how do i make it like low labor moderate intensity uh like still profitable is is the game now so it's a different game like my dad was like trying to make it as intensively farmed as he possibly could because he was trying to put four kids through college and you know mm -hmm. get everybody their start in life and you know, look after everybody. Whereas for me, it's like, I just want to get by and I want to make use of this farm. I'm not going to like, just like leave it idle or like rent it out to somebody else. I just want to, just want to make it work for me. It's a, oh. anyway, yours with pink eye don't help. Lambs with joint ill don't help. Um, bad weather doesn't help. So yeah, my, I'm, I'm thinking of shifting the lambing season back to like the more, easy to manage mid-season lambing because my father had early season lambing primarily because it suited his calendar cycle when he had milking cows right. because of uh, grass pasture resources basically he was able to get the lambs gone before the pasture was at peak for milking cows etc etc so i'm actually just going to go to mid-season i think and then it's a easier to let them out because the weather is good B, there's less feeding because the grass just is in the field. Um, anyway, so there you go. Fuck it. This is the shit that happens in my brain these days. I'm like, I used to consider so much. I used to think about so much. And now I'm just out there drenched to the fucking, drenched to the bones, <laughs> injecting <laughs> blind sheep and throwing them in trucks and carrying lost lambs. I'm like, how the fuck can I make this easier on me? And I think that's in the whole world. People just have to think, how how can you like how can you get by in your own little bubble? Just like look after yourself and your family, and you know you don't need to be a billionaire. You just need to fucking get by. You just need to get by. Yeah, and if we have any logistics whizzes at home, send Mick an email on how you think he can uh, streamline the operation here. <laughs> Yeah, and if you have any ideas for converting cattle slats to sheep slats, other than that rebar thing that I've Googled online, I don't really like it. 
Um, yeah. Send me a message. Send me a message. Um, come here. I don't know how long we've been on, but sure, we'll we'll call it a day, will we? Yeah. Go on. All right. Well, uh, we've been Saint and Scholar. Um, yeah. Sure. We'll chat soon, lads. Later. See you. 